The preacher, the politician, and the philanthropist. How have they impacted the African-American community? Let's get into it. We've got some difficult days ahead. I just want to do God's will. I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. Shalom, shalom, my brothers and sisters, and thank you for... um, Tuning in to another episode of Jacob's Seed Podcast. As always, I'm so glad that you guys are here listening, hanging out with your boy right here, Yemayahu Daweed. Listen, we have a lot to get into in this episode, um, so I'm going to make this preliminary stuff as quick as possible. So first of all, if you ha- if you do not know, um, we have just launched a brand new YouTube channel called Messianic Hebrew TV. Um, I'll put the link in the the podcast descriptions. You can also just go to YouTube and search Messianic Hebrew TV. Um, Look for a video with my face on it and please subscribe to that channel. Just as you you have guys have subscribed to Jacob C Podcast and supported this podcast. Um, I pray and hope that you guys support that YouTube channel as well. Also, um, we have merch. Go to teespring.com and... um, Look up Jacob C. Podcast. I'll also put that link in the description as well. Um, is there anything else outside of just thanking everybody for continuing to listen, to continue to support, and continuing to um, subscribe to this podcast? I thank you, thank you, thank you. I thank you for everyone who has sent me a direct message via um, Instagram or has hit me up on Twitter, has liked the Facebook page. That does not go um, unnoticed. Um I thank you. It's appreciated. It's humbling. Um, it's all those things. I, I can't say more about how you guys have just supported this podcast and supported me. And um, I thank you. So let's get right into it. So the preacher, the politician and the philanthropist, what do they have in common and how have they positively or negatively impacted the African-American community, which we know in, in, in this vernacular as the Hebrew community. Now, I'll be getting most of my talking points out of the um, bestseller, The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson. So if you don't know who Carter G. Woodson is, he is the founder, the progenitor of uh, Negro Week, which would soon turn into um, African-American History Month. So he created a week in which all the um, inventions and efforts and advancement of um, of African-Americans here in this country would be recognized and celebrated. He created a week in February. I want to say it was it coincided with somebody's birthday, but I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. Remember 100 percent about it. But um, that week turned into a month eventually. So. Um, so don't get upset during Black History Month when you say, oh, they gave us the shortest month. Like, no, we we created that. That was something we did. So uh, as a people, we need to start definitely doing our history and quit always attributing things that we have done um, to other people. We have done great things in this country and in countries across the world. So let's not um, uh, short sight ourselves and believe that other people are doing stuff and we are not. So Carter G. Woodson wrote the book, The Miseducation of the Negro, a quick synopsis of the book. Uh, Pretty much it talks about just miseducation. So 
so-called Negroes, as he puts it in the book, go through these higher learning institutions and they pretty much forget who they are. And um, at the end of the day, they neglect the very people in which they should be serving, which is their own. So we're going to talk about that today um, from the perspective of the preacher, the politician and the philanthropist. So let's get right into it and we'll go ahead and start in order. So we'll start with the preacher. We'll start with the preacher. So first, we're going to look at what G. Carter Woodson or what Carter G. Woodson has to say in his book, The Miseducation of the Negro, about the preacher. And then we're going to look into some scriptures and see what um, see what the Most High um, has to say about uh, the preacher as well as well. So let's get right into it. And also um, bear with me today because uh, I'm reading quotes directly from the book. And some of these are, are long passages, but I believe that it will give us a lot of information that we need as a people to help others open their eyes to see that um, we've been fooled, we've been hoodwinked, and we've been bamboozled by these institutions of theology, these institutions of churches, uh, the institutions of politics, and by these people claiming to be our quote-unquote friends or allies um, from other nations who dump money into our institutions, who dump money um, into our causes, and then... Um, Years later down the road, we find out that their their intentions were far less than pure. All right. Uh, so let's get right into it. So on page four of the book, The Miseducation of the Negro, in the chapter called The Seat of Trouble, uh, Dr. Woodson says this. In the schools of theology, Negroes are taught the interpretation of the Bible worked out by those who have justified segregation and winked at the economic debasement of the Negro, sometimes almost to the point of starvation. Deriving their sense of right from this teaching, graduates of such schools can have no message to grip the people whom they have been ill-trained to serve. Most of such miseducated ministers, therefore, preach to benches while illiterate Negro preachers do the best they can in supplying the spiritual needs of the masses. He then goes on to say, when a Negro has finished his education in our schools, uh, meaning the European schools of theology, then he has been equipped to begin the life of an Americanized or Europeanized white man. But before he steps from the threshold of his alma mater, he is told by his teachers that he must go back to his own people from whom he has been estranged by a vision of ideas in which his disillusionment, disillusionment, excuse me, he will realize that he cannot attain. Uh, now, flipping over to page 54, I believe, actually 57, which, flipping over to page 57 um, in the chapter called The Educated Negro, uh, Dr. Woodson writes this about the preacher. This is sad indeed, for the Negro church is the only institution the race controls. With the exception of the feeble, feeble efforts of a few all but starved out institutions, the education of the Negro is controlled by the other element. Save the dramatization of the practical education by Booker T. Washington, Negroes have not influenced the system at all in America. In business, the lack of capital, credit, and experience has prevented large undertakings to accumulate the wealth necessary for the ease and comfort essential to higher culture. In the church, however, the Negro has had sufficient freedom to develop this institution in his own way, but he has failed to do so. 
His religion is merely a loan from the whites who have enslaved and segregated the Negroes. I'll say that again. His religion is merely a loan from the whites who have enslaved and segregated the Negroes. And the organization, though largely an independent Negro institution, is dominated by the thought of the oppressors of the race. The quote-unquote educated Negro minister is so trained as to drift away from the masses and the illiterate preachers in uh, whose hands the people inevitably fall are unable to develop a doctrine and a procedure of their own. The dominant thought is to make use of the dogma of the whites as means to an end. Whether the system is what it should be or not, it serves the purpose. In chameleon-like fashion, Dr. Woodson writes, the Negro has taken up almost everything religious which has come alongside instead of thinking for himself. I'll repeat that paragraph again, or that, that sentence again. In chameleon-like fashion, the Negro has taken up almost everything religious which has come alongside instead of thinking for himself. And this is one of the biggest problems that we have as a people. Um, this is me talking now. We have as a people when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to Islam, because these are the two main factions in which we find so-called African-Americans in. We do not think for ourselves. We do not read the scriptures for ourselves. We believe whatever has been regurgitated in society about scripture and about this man called Jesus, who we know his real name is Yahshua, and we run with it without ever having any investigation. And it is so sad because I have so many friends who I've even tried to talk to who are highly educated. Some of them are doctors. Some themselves are preachers. Some are business owners. And yet they still cannot see that the words that they have been given is a lie from the oppressors of our people. They cannot see that the religion that they call Christianity is false. I'm not saying be, to be a Christian is false because by definition, people in Christianity are not Christians. Christianity means to be Christ-like and they deny everything about Christ. Did Christ attend the feasts? Yes, he did. Did Christ follow the laws of his father, the law, statutes, and commandments of his father? Yes, he did. Given down by Moses on Mount Sinai. Did, 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 did Christ uh, uh, eat clean? Yes, he did. He didn't. You wouldn't find him eating pork and catfish. He wasn't going to do it. But yet we have the audacity to call ourselves Christians when you don't do anything Christ like. Because like Dr. Woodson, he understood that we don't have an original thought if you are stuck in this false religion of Christianity. You are just regurgitating what you heard from majority culture because Christianity is their religion. Christianity is the religion of this country, not the religion of our people. But I'll keep on reading. He further says, I'll start that sentence over again. In chameleon-like fashion, the Negro has taken up almost everything religious which has come alongside of thinking for himself, um, which has come along instead of thinking for himself. I'm sorry. The English split off from the Catholics because Henry VIII had difficulty in getting sanction from the church to satisfy his lust for women. 
and Negroes went with this ill, saying, God save the king. Others later said that said the thing necessary is baptism by immersion and the Negroes joined them as Baptists. Another circle of promoters next said we must have new method of doing things and we shall be and we shall call ourselves Methodists. And the Negroes then embraced that faith. The Methodists and the Baptists split up further on account of custom and holding slaves and Negroes arrayed themselves on the respective sides. The religious agitators divided still more on questions beyond human power to understand. And the Negroes started out in similar fashion to imitate them. Wow. So we, as long as we're stuck in this institution called Christianity, um, and as long as we're following these so-called Christian pastors, we do not have any power. Why? Because we do not have an original thought. Instead of thinking for ourselves, as Dr. Woodson says, uh, we in chameleon like fashion take up everything religious our oppressor gives us. Can we find such things as this in the scriptures? Absolutely. We can go to um, let's see Ephesians. Ephesians chapter four. Let's go to Ephesians chapter four. As I turn there, Ephesians chapter four, look at verse 14. It says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slightest of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. I'm going to read that again. Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children. So he's saying, don't be, don't think like a child anymore. Cause just like I, I have, I have three children and they will believe anything that comes out of, out of my mouth, and anything that comes out of their mother's mouth without any investigation, they will blindly believe it. Paul says, quit doing that. He says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. So you see, as, as Dr. Woodson said, we were tossed to and fro from Catholicism to the Church of England to being a Methodist to being a Baptist. And now majority of us are in the Pentecostal religion. We are tossed to and fro. Who is doing this? Paul says, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, the Catholic doctrine, the Church of England doctrine, the Baptist doctrine, the Methodist doctrine, the Kojic doctrine, uh, going down the line, whatever doctrine. By the slight of men and cunning craftiness. These people are cunning. The scriptures also said that our enemies will be more shrewd than us as well. Whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So if Paul in his day realized that there are all these kind of doctrines out there that would deceive us. And remember now, a lot of people want to throw Paul away. But if you read Romans chapter seven, slowly. You will understand that he was a law follower at the, in the in the latter books of the, uh, the books of Acts. He literally spends the last half of his life defending the law of Moses. So Paul says that at some point we need to quit being children's tossed to and fro by every other doctrine that all these men have. And all these doctrines do is to deceive us. He continues in verse 15. He says, but speaking truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So 
how do we get out of this deception, this delusion of the church, these false religions called Christianity, Islam, and whatever else it may be out there. We have to speak truth in love. It's a difficult thing to do. I understand some of us are passionate and we're ready just as soon as we find the truth, as soon as we actually start reading the scriptures for ourselves, we have this sense of urgency, which you should have and never lose a sense of urgency to go tell our friends, our family members, our co-workers about this, uh, this new thing, um, the, the new scriptures that, man, we are Hebrews and we need to turn back to the law, statutes and commandments. But at the same time, uh, keeping the, the testimony of Yahshua HaMashiach. But we cannot do that um, by yelling at folks and forcing people into the truth. Paul says the scriptures say um, uh, the, the, the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament says that we must speak these truths in love. And not only must me, but must me, uh, excuse me, my goodness. Now I'm getting all kind of tongue tied over here. Not only must we speak truth in love. Uh, but we also need to make sure that we're not tossed to and fro by every false doctrine that's out there. All right. Um, let's see what else that um, Dr. Woodson has to say about the preacher. And then we'll get into the scriptures to see uh, what the modern day preacher actually is. All right. Let's see here. Um, chapter 65 of his book in the I'm sorry. um Page 65 in his book, The Miseducation of the Negro, and chapters is called Dissension and Weakness. Um, it says the minister had attended a school of theology, but had merely memorized words and phrases, which meant little to him and nothing to nothing to those who heard his discourse. The school in which he had been trained followed the traditional course of ministers, devoting most of the time to the dead languages and dead issues. He had given attention to polytheism, monotheism, and the doctrine of the Trinity. He had studied also the uh, philosophical basis of the, cause, the Caucasian dogma, the elements of that theology, and the schism by which fanatics made a religion in a football and multiplied wars only to the moistened to the soil of Europe with the blood of un, of unoffending men. This minister had given no attention to the religious background of the Negroes to whom he was trying to preach. He's talking about black preachers. He knew nothing of their spiritual endowment and their religious experience had in, has influenced by their traditions and environments in which the religion of the Negro had developed and expressed himself. So he forgot about his original religion. He did not seem to know anything about their present situation. These honest people, therefore, knew nothing additional when he had finished his discourse. As one uh, communi communicated, uh, as one had communicated, their wants had not been supplied and they wondered where they might go to hear a word which had some bearing upon the life which they had to live. Not long ago, when the author was in Virginia, he inquired about a man who was once a once a popular preacher in that state. He is here, they said, but he has nothing. But he is not preaching now. He went off to school. And when he came back, the people could not understand what he was talking about. Then he began to find fault with the people because they would not come to church. He called them foggy because they did not appreciate his new style of preaching and the things he talked about. The church went down to nothing and he finally left it and took up farming. See, here's the issue. 
So what, what, what he's painting here is, is what I've seen so many times. So we get a lot of African-American preachers who, um, in good intention, go off to school to try to get better educated on the scriptures so that they can themselves better educate their parishioners on the scriptures. The problem is they're being educated from a Eurocentric um, um, ideology. They're not being educated from their ideology, from their people, the Hebrew people. So the scriptures are always based and tinted toward the European who has created Christianity, which is a lie. They have twisted the scriptures and they have deceived so many people through these scriptures, whether through the first through the Catholic Church and then through all the branches of the Catholic Church thereof. So uh, every Protestant church is a daughter of the Catholic Church, whether they want to admit it or not, they are. And they have deceived many people in this false religion called Christianity. Yet a lot of black preachers, instead of going back to their roots as a Hebrew and learning the Hebraic um, uh, uh, undertones of the scriptures and understanding that Christ himself was a Hebrew, Paul was a Hebrew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John was a Hebrew, and all of them were law followers. They all followed the law of Moses, which we need to go back to. They go to these white institutions that tell them that they, number one, they don't have to be black. Number two, they no longer have, they don't, they don't have to preach from um, the Old Testament, yet they need to focus on the New Testament and the freedom that Christ gives them. The freedom to be lawless is what the white man preaches, what the Caucasian churches preach. And then the black churches regurgitate this stuff. So we go to their schools of theology. We get real smart. We learn Greek and we learn Hebrew, which is a good thing to, to better expound the scriptures. And I'm sure a lot of them start asking questions when they learn the language because now the scriptures make more sense. But in some kind of way, the professor will always use dogma and doctrine to 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 wave those questions away. And then when these preachers come back to their churches, which is which we know that most of these black churches are, are churches full of people who are not educated in the scriptures, who are not educated in the Hebrew, who are not educated in the Greek. And he begins to preach. He has lost touch with these people. That's what he, that's what Dr. Woodson is saying. This preacher has gone off to these white institutions to learn about their white Jesus and come back and try to teach these black people the same thing. And he's completely lost touch. And now these people in the church are frustrated, which makes him frustrated. And in this instance, he goes back to farming. But now what preachers do is they go to white institutions and they begin to preach there. They begin to be what they call residents at white institutions. Or if it's not a white institution, it is a uh, multi-ethnic church, which is really a white institution in disguise. And then they go preach there and they never come back to the law, statutes and commandments. They never go and plant or they never go and start a messianic Hebrew assembly. And they get lost in Christianity. And my prayer is that those brothers and that those sisters um, wake up to the truth of the scriptures that the scales fall off of their eyes because it is a sad thing to see a, 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 a black man, a so-called black woman, to wallow in Christianity and continue to regurgitate the lies that they learned from their oppressors about their own religion, about their own book. Don't get it twisted. The Bible is a book written by Hebrews, spoken about Hebrews, for Hebrews. 
believe that. If you're Hebrew, that is your history book. That is your law book. That is your religious book. Other nations have come and stolen it and, and, and uh, appropriated it, but it belongs to you. If you are a Hebrew, it belongs to you. Carter G. Woodson has more to say about the preacher, but we'll leave it right there. Um, and we'll see what 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 did the scriptures say about the modern preacher? All right. Uh, they don't say anything different about the modern preacher, as they have said in antiquity, in, in antiquity. Um, if you look at the book of John in chapter 10, verse 12. We will see exactly. Who these preachers are. And even what. um what Yahshua thought about these preachers. So this is what he says in John chapter 10, verse 12. He says, but he that is a hireling and not the shepherd whose own of the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. And if you read the book of Jeremiah, especially, I believe, in the chapter 23 or 24, it talks about the woes of pastors who scatter the sheep and how the most high will have to bring all of his sheep back into one fold. He'll have to do that. Why? Because the pastors in Jeremiah, he says, has scattered the sheep. How have they scattered the sheep? Because they are hirelings. They're not real shepherds. They see the wolf coming and they flee leaving you exposed to all kind of elements. And unfortunately, this is what the pastors have done in the black communities, in the African-American communities, in the Hebrew communities. Everything that cometh our way, we've been exposed to. Drugs, violence, gangs, gentrification, redlining, all these things, these so-called pastors, these people who are supposed to be looking out for you and your soul, have not done anything to stop any of this. They pander to the oppressive uh, uh, um, uh, cultures of the Caucasians, our oppressors. But they, but when they see the trouble coming, they do not warn us. They let it happen. Because most of these brothers, and even some of the people in the Hebrew awakening, don't get it twisted now. Just because they came over to this side and no longer Christian don't mean that they for your best good. Some of these brothers in this Hebrew awakening are also plants from from uh, the Caucasian persuasion. They try to try to number one, try to make the awakening look bad, try to sabotage it. And number two, two try to further move brothers and sisters away from the truth while thinking that they're actually in the truth. But specifically talking about Christian pastors and the pastors of the time of Yahshua and the pastors of the day, they are hirelings. They see the wolf coming, the trouble, the thing that can actually hurt and kill the sheep. And what do they what do they do? They run. They do not protect the sheep. So the pastor. In all that they try to do now, some are genuine and they don't understand that that even what they're doing is deceptive. But if your pastor is not telling you that you are a Hebrew, that you are an Israelite from the tribes of, 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 of Jacob and that you need to turn back to the laws, statutes, and commandments of the Most High, that pastor has not done anything for you and you need to get up out that church right now. Right now. If you have brothers and sisters 
family members and friends in churches. You need to be speaking to them in truth, the truth in love, as Paul would say, and show them how deceptive this thing called Christianity, uh, 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 how deceptive it is. This thing called Islam, how deceptive it is. This thing called Judaism, how, 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 how deceptive it is. Though our brothers and sisters in Judaism um, um, follow Torah, they also follow another law that Paul is actually talking about called the Talmudic law, which puts more and more and more pressure and more and more um, uh, man-made traditions on top of the law of Moses, which is unattainable. These man-made traditions are impossible to do. That's why Paul says, listen, you need to get rid of those laws, the Talmudic laws, and embrace the laws of Moses while holding on to the testimony of Yahshua. So that is not to say that every pastor is out to get us. That is not to say that every pastor is paid, but you can tell the ones who are. But even the ones who are not, they are still deceived by this false religion of Christianity and by other false religions that persist in this nation. And they're not telling you who you really are and what you should really be doing with your life. Thus, they have not really done anything for you or anything for our community. So the pastor has failed us. Let's move on to the politician and see if the politician has done anything different from what the pastor has done. All right. So let's see if the politician has done anything different than what the pastor has done. In his book, again, The Miseducation of the Negro, uh, Dr. Woodson talks about politics in length. I'm not going to get 100 percent all into it, uh, but we are going to touch on some points. So on page 183 in the chapter called Higher Strivings, he begins to write and he says, any people who will vote the same way for three generations without thereby obtaining results ought to be ignored and disenfranchised as a minority element in the as a as a minority element the negro should not knock at the door of any particular political party he should appeal to the negro themselves and from them should come harmony and concerted action for a new advance to that larger freedom of men the Negro should use his vote rather than give it away to reward the deed of some favors done in the distant past. He should not. He should clamor not for the few offices um, earmarked as Negro jobs, but for the recognition of these despised persons as men, according to the provision of the Constitution of the United States. Flipping over to the next page on page 184, Dr. Woodson says about the Negro politician that the new Negro in politics must must learn something that the old ward healers have never been able to realize. Namely, not only that the few offices allotted Negroes are insufficient, but that even if the Negro received a proportionate share of the spoils, the race cannot hope to solve any serious problem by the changing fortunes of politics. I'll say that again. That even if the Negro received a proportionate share of the spoils, the race cannot hope to solve any serious problem by the changing fortune of politics. Real politics, the science of government, is deeply rooted in the economic foundation of the social order, which means you can't get in. 
He continues to write to figure greatly in politics. The Negro must be a great figure in politics. A class of people slightly lifted above poverty, therefore, can never have much influence in political circles. The Negro must develop character and worth to make a desirable to make a desirable everywhere so that he will not have to knock at the doors of political parties, but will have them thrown open to him. So Dr. Woodson is basically saying that that the politics of this country is so rooted in this economic social order that anybody who is even slightly above poverty can never get his foot in to actually affect any real change for the so-called African-American through the avenue of politics. We've seen this, right? So we just, as this is being recorded, we just had the death of, um, I can't even remember his name right now, I just went blank, um, Congressman John Lewis, uh, who was a civil rights activist who walked with Dr. Martin Luther King, um, as well has served, I believe, the state of Georgia um, as a congressman for for several decades. Yet, as much as he thought he was doing good for his own people, there is no amount of politics that can save the African-American community. If politics can save us, it would have done it already. The whole hall of the Civil Rights Act um, with the John Lewis's of the world, the Jesse Jackson's of the world. And I want to even I don't really want to put them in the same category because they're two totally different men. But my point is politicians, black politicians, the Barack Obama's of the world who actually became president. What did he actually do to effect any kind of change in the African-American community? And please don't give me that he tried. Yes, you can go and you can look up. And I even did a podcast about it, how 200 or so different things that he tried to do that was blocked by Congress that would positively affect the African-American community. But here's my problem with his trying. When he tried to pass laws that would um, uh, 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 positively affect or laws that would, um, would work for the gay community, guess what? Congress blocked it. Guess what he did? Went behind closed doors and got it done. When he tried to reform health care, guess what? Congress blocked it. Guess what he did? Went behind closed doors and got it done. So every time Congress actually blocked something that he tried to do positively for the African-American community, he could have gone behind closed doors and gotten it done. He chose not to do it because he knew that if he just pretended to try, that that's all that the African-American community would want of him to just try because we never really expect anybody to do anything good for us. We have uh, downgraded our own selves so much that we love a black president so much that has done nothing for us just for the simple fact that he looks like us and he tried. That's not good enough. And it continues to prove that politics cannot do anything for our people. The only remedy for our people is to quit sinning. If you want to know what sin is, go to 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 9, and it'll tell you exactly what sin is. It is a transgression of Torah, a transgression of the law of Moses. That is what sin is. And when we stop doing that, then our people will rise up. Then our people will have the, a political power not to be equal to our oppressors. So I don't want to assimilate into this American culture. I have an... I, I have a I have a culture of my own. Thank you very much. And I would love to retain that culture. But we need to quit sinning 
Turn back to the law, statutes, commandments, uphold the testimony of Yeshua and not seek to gain equality in this nation. But to seek, but to seek to have even yes, if you want to go and, and move to Africa or, or uh, seek to go back to the uh, to, to Israel, that's cool. That's fine. That's dandy. I believe the most high will do that in his own timing. But even as we're here, we can create communities of our own indigenous communities of our own. That is that that does not rely on the dollar of the European, the culture of the European. Or the ideas of the European. But a community that is righteous before the Elohim, that he can bless it, that he can breathe on it, that he can see about it and that he can protect us from anything coming our way. And that he would give us in Jeremiah, as he said, preachers after his own heart. So listen, so instead of running to the polls, thinking that Joe Biden, Donald Trump, uh, Hillary Clinton, um, uh, Como or whoever the, the, the next big thing in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or the Libertarian Party or the Green Party or or or, or an independent person, whoever that may be, uh, um, a next um, Bernie Sanders like person is going to save you from your current predicament is not going to happen through politics. The politician cannot save you. You want to know why? I actually had a conversation with a politician who texted me because, you know, they send out these little text messages or whatever. And I say, don't ignore them. Uh, they're going to come knock at your door. It's voting season. They're going to come knock at your door and all the other stuff. You're going to see them riding around in your community in golf carts, depending on what community you live in. They're going to be at the uh, different celebrations, especially these African-American celebrations that go on. And um, they're going to be in the neighborhood. Ask them this one question. As a politician, Will you be telling the African-Americans, the Native Americans and the Hispanics, the, the, the Afro-Latinos and the Afro-Latinas, that they are Hebrews, that they are Israelites and that they should turn back to the law, statutes and commandments of the Most High while holding on to the testimony of Yahshua? Because we believe that is the only way that our people can come up out of the muck and the miry of the clay that they are in. 100 percent of those politicians are going to tell you no. They're going to pander. They're going to they're going to spin. They're still going to try to get your vote. But I'm going to tell you what, they don't deserve your vote. If they're not trying to do. The right thing and tell them the truth about our people and who they are and what they should be doing. Politicians do not seek to save you. Politicians seek to continue the same old. Guard that's always been done. Politics has not changed ever in this country, and it's not going to help us out at all. Even during the civil rights, we got one book on the law, and I'm not going to lie, it did help us. It did help us. But did it bring us out of oppression? Did it bring us out of poverty? Did it clean up our neighborhoods? Did it bring any kind of decency and wealth to the African-American community? No, it did not. Because the only thing that can do that is obedience to the words of the Most High. So we've seen that the preacher cannot help us. The politician cannot help us. Um, and I'm not even going to go through all my notes because I don't want this, po this podcast to run too long. But let's see if the philanthropist can help us. All right. So let's go all the way to the back of the book. Let's go all the way to the back of the book. Let me see. Here. Let me get there. I believe it's like the very last page. 
It's one of the very last pages of the book. Actually, it's one of the last two pages. Um, so in the same chapter, Higher Strivings, page 188, Dr. Woodson says this. Why should the Negro wait for someone from without to urge him to self-assertion when he sees himself robbed by his employer, defrauded by his merchant, and hushed up by a government ag- by government agents of injustice? Why wait for a spur to action when he finds his manhood insulted, his woman outraged, and his fellow man lynched for amusement? The Negroes have always had sufficient reasons for being uh, radical, and it looks silly to see them taking up the cause of others who pretend that they are interested in the Negro when they merely mean to use the race as a means to an end. When the desired purpose of these so-called friendly groups will have been served, they will have no further use for the Negro and will drop him just as the Republican machine has done. I'll read that again. The Negro has always had sufficient reason for being radical, and it looks silly to silly to see them taking up the cause of others who pretend that they are interested in the Negro when they merely mean to use the race as a means to an end. When the desired purpose of these so-called friendly groups will have served, have been served, they will have no further use for the Negro and will drop him just as a Republican machine has done. So that's comical because we have a lot of Republicans right now yelling at trying to pander for this black vote. And they're going to tell you, hey, the Republicans are the party of Abraham Lincoln. The Republicans are the party of Martin Luther King. The Republicans are the party of Malcolm X. The Republicans are the party of W.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington and so on and so forth. And that's very true. But when the Republicans were done with the African-Americans, what they do? Drop their tail. Then the Democrats picked you up. And did they do anything better for you? No. They put us in, you know, uh, government institutions that uh, ridded the man out of the family home. So so many other things that they've done to destroy the black family, yet we just give them our vote. And it's not just the uh, philanthropists that are in politics, um, but it's also the philanthropy that comes through the the likes of George Soros, um, the likes of the Clinton Foundation, the likes of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Like all these foundations seek to harm African-American people. Look at the, the, the foolishness that the Clintons do down in Haiti. They're destroying that country. Look at Bill and Melinda who see African-Americans um, as a vulnerable um, population and they need to take this COVID-19 vaccine first. They're pushing it on black and brown people, right? They, 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 they need to take it first. And these are the same people who seek to depopulate the world but they want us to take their vaccines. I don't think so. The same people who tested the vaccine in Africa who has the lowest cases of COVID-19. Why would you start on a continent that has the lowest cases of COVID-19 to test the vaccine? Because you're trying to exterminate those people. Very simple. And we look at the same folks with, just as we, we uh, as, as Dr. Woodson says, we take up the causes of others thinking they're going to come to our aid. So a lot of us took up the cause of this gay agenda. These gay white men wanted rights to be able to marry and to adopt children. And we had black folks out there saying that, hey, equality and love is love and also the foolishness. Where were those gay people when when Trayvon Martin got shot? 
now all of a sudden everybody wants to get on board after the George Floyd thing. I, I still don't understand that. Uh, there's something fishy, very fishy about this one. But between Trayvon Martin and uh, Mr. Aubrey, where, where was where was the gay people? Where were they at? Oh, I'll tell you where they were at. They were infiltrating a they were creating a a uh, organization called Black Lives Matter. And yes, they're screaming Black Lives Matter now, but all of a sudden they got funded by George Soros. And now their whole agenda is to dismantle the black, the black family, to, uh, to uh, feminize the black man and to give all rights to black trans win- transgender women. They have no uh, they have no uh, intention of really caring about black lives. Black Lives Matter is a real anti-black organization. So because we cannot, um, and he says more about this in his book, um, talking about how because we cannot create a living for ourselves, because we don't have jobs to create for ourselves, uh, we actually have to lean on these venture capitalists, lean on these philanthropists to help us out in our causes. Actually, let me read some of that because I think it's important. So I'm just going to read a bit from the chapter called failure to learn to make a living. It's on page starts at page 38 of his book. Um, And the first right out of the gate, he says the greatest indictment of such education as Negroes has received, however, is that they have thereby learned little as to making a living the first essential in civilization. Um, He goes on to say what Negroes are now being taught does not bring their minds into harmony with life as they must face it. When a Negro student works his way through college by polishing shoes, he does not think of making a special study of science uh, underlining the production and distribution of leather and its products that he may come day may someday uh, figure in his sphere. The Negro boy sent to college by a mechanic seldom dreams of learning mechanical engineering to build up the foundation his father has laid that in years to come he may figure as a contractor or a counseling engineer. The Negro girl who goes to college hardly wants to return to her mother if she is um, a washerwoman. But this girl should come back with a sufficient knowledge of physics and chemistry and business administration to use her mother's work as a nucleus for a modern steam laundry. A white, a white professor of a university recently resigned his position to become rich by running a laundry for Negroes in a southern city. A Negro college instructor would have considered such a suggestion an insult. The so-called education of Negro college graduates leads them to throw away opportunities which they have and go into the quest of those which they do not find. And then uh, Dr. Woodson goes on to say this about black businesses. He says gossiping and scandal mongering Negroes, of course, come to their assistance. Miseducated by the oppressors of the race, such Negroes expect the Negro businessman to fail anyway. They seize then upon unfavorable results Um, exaggerate the situation and circulate falsehoods throughout the world to their own undoing. You read such headlines as great Negro business fails, Negro bank robbed by its officers and the twilight of Negro businesses. The miseducated Negro then stands up saying, I told you so Negroes can't run businesses. My, my professors pointed that out to me years ago when I studied economics in college and I never intended to put any of my money in any Negro enterprise. Um, And then Dr. Woodson goes on to say this also about uh, black businesses. Remember, we're talking about this because there's an element in our community uh, that that we love to sabotage ourselves. 
And then because we do this, we have to pander for money for our own causes from people who do not seek, who, who actually seek our harm. He continues to say this about black businesses. He says the thought of the immediate reward, short sightedness and the lack of vision and courage to struggle and to win the fight made them failures to begin with. They are unwilling to throw aside their coats and their collars and to do the groundwork of the Negro business and thus make opportunities for themselves instead of begging others for a chance. And that's when we do. We run these philanthropists. We beg others for chances for our own opportunities that we should be making of our own. And if we had our own nucleus of community that was run by black businesses and had the power of a black dollar, we would never need a George Soros. We would never need a Clinton Foundation. We would never need a Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And if and if the community also turned back to the law, statutes, and commandments, we wouldn't have to worry about um, the gay agenda. We wouldn't have to worry about drugs. We wouldn't have to worry about um, abortions. We wouldn't have to worry about uh, gang violence because everybody would be living in righteousness and we could be able to fund our own causes. Dr. Woodson continued to continues to write though he says the educated negro from the point of view of commerce and industry industry then shows no mental power to understand the situation which he finds he has apparently read his race out of that sphere and with the exception of what illiterate negroes can do blindly the field is left open for the foreign exploitation foreigners see this opportunity as soon as they reach our shores and begin to manufacture and sell to negroes especially such things as caps next ties house dresses which may be produced at a small cost and under ordinary circumstances the main problem with the negro in this field however is salesmanship that is where he is weak it is unfortunate too that the educated negro does not understand or is unwilling to start small enterprises which makes the larger ones possible so not only has the preacher failed us because they go to these uh, these white institutions and they come out, they go in black and they come out white. Right. They, they, they pander to white thought and the European thought and Eurocentric thought when it comes to the scriptures. They come back to our communities and they do not tell us what we ought to be doing, that we should turn back to the law, statutes and commandments. They have failed us. The politician has failed us because they have done the same. They have put all their, their work and their talent and their energy in this political machine that has never done anything for the black African-American communities. And then the philanthropists, they fail us as well because we ourselves have denied good work. We have denied the shoe shining. We have denied the, uh, the mechanics. We have denied the laundry washing. We have denied, we have failed to make large industries of these things. And we have despised these works. We have despised these trades. And foreigners from other countries have come in and seen the opportunities that these so-called uh, slave trades have can provide. And they have made massive industries all out of them, which we should have been doing. But we despise them, trying to obtain the same jobs and levels as our oppressors. And now we have to turn to these foreigners and these uh, Europeans to fund our causes. At the end of the day, if you take money from them, yeah, your, your cause may be funded, but now you got to walk. Now you got to walk and step what they tell you to do as well, which it does not make you a free man. Their money turns you back into a slave. Their money 
their plantation, their ideas. Don't take their money. We need to build up our own community. We need to speak the truth in love and quit following after these pastors who are lying to you. We need to quit voting for these Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and independent people who are not really having any change or effect in our communities. And we need to quit taking money from these oppressors. Stay out of the back pockets of these Europeans and these foreigners who do not seek any, have any good intentions for us, but see our people as a means to an end. The preacher, the politician, and the philanthropist. How have they impacted the, our, the, the African-American community? In a great way, but has led us astray and further away from our Elohim than we've ever been before. Let's wake up. Let's turn back. Let's love the Most High. As always, keep a 98 plus 2. Seek truth, live it out, inform others. Shalom. Thank you for listening to this episode of Jacob's Seed Podcast. If you have not already, we ask that you subscribe to this podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on, as well as sharing it on your social media outlets. You can find Jacob's Seed Podcast on Instagram at Seed 12 as well as on Facebook at Jacob Seed Podcast. Ever want to know how to be a part of the podcast? You can call the podcast voicemail at 901-300-7474 and leave a one-minute comment or question, and we will play it on the next episode. Ever want to know how to support the podcast? You can go on Facebook and press the Learn More button, or you can go on Instagram and press the link in the bio. If you do not have Facebook or Instagram, you can simply go to jacobc12.wixsite.com slash podcast. That's jacobc12.wixsite.com slash podcast. Select store and find ways to support this podcast. We thank you. We love you. And as always, we wish you shalom. Shalom.